0: You're listening to the One of Us.net Podcast Network.
1: One of Us.net and all of the shows on it are 100% subscriber supported. Please consider becoming a subscriber to One of Us.net. Keep the site and all of our great shows going and get some terrific bonus content as well. It's digital noise time. I'm Chris. I'm joined by John Golson. Or Hello, Sir John Golson. You got knighted, Lord, right? Lord,
0: <laughs> Lord John Golson. What do you have to do to be a Lord? Uh, you know, you you gotta um, you gotta own a fiefdom.
1: Oh, okay. That's mm-hmm. yeah, well, <laughs> what
0: it's what has to happen legally. Uh, uh, so I've, I've f- got a fiefdom now. Yeah, it's, it's, it's been a bunch long of serfs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, serfs. <laughs> yeah, all that. Man, serfs can't live with them. Can't live without them. Huh?
1: <laughs> what a pain. <laughs> I don't know Surf's where to go with up. this joke. <laughs> I started going a direction. I'm like, yes, and <laughs> Yes and
0: Obviously I'm very good at improvisational comedy. <laughs> um
1: So here's the bit. John Golsen mm-hmm. is a lord and he has a fiefdom and Chris is confused because he's like, Wait, what? And then he's gotta make all the jokes. <laughs> yeah. It's easy being the straight man in a, in, in a comedy performance. <laughs> uh, we're here to not do a comedy performance, although we promise we'll try to be funny, uh, to cover all the home releases that have come out in the last week or two. And we have a, a respectable little stack to talk about this week of some titles that uh, are go from really good to yawn-inducing. Yeah, it's a good... yeah. yeah. It's a, it's a mixed bag this week, and I think there's nothing in here I... Outright hated. Oh, I have one. Do you? But there's a. (laughs) Oh no, that's true. I do too. I'm looking at the list. There is one that I really hated. But there's a lot of stuff. I'm like, you're doing stuff that's interesting, and I kind of respect things about this, but it's not for me. Yeah, you know. But we're gonna start off with something that really was for me, and honestly, I'm just gonna say this is my favorite of the 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 new DC movies is Shazam, which is now out on Blu-ray and 4K. Everyone's like, come on, it's not as good as Wonder Woman. I thought it was much better than Wonder Woman. I think it's better than Wonder Woman. Yes, I'm sorry. I mean, Wonder Woman is great, well cast, and cool looking, but it still falls back a lot on a lot of the very generic superhero movie tropes, especially in the third act. Yeah. And this really felt like something new. It did. I I mean, yes, it's new in the sense that it's doing a superhero movie in a context mixed with another movie big. (laughs) Yeah. Like, well, we've never seen anybody do that before. And it honestly wouldn't have worked if the casting hadn't have been just dead fucking on. And I mean both for Zach, Zachary Levi playing Shazam, the older version of uh, uh, of the kid who, when he says the word Shazam, Billy Batson, but, uh, played by a- Asher Angel, he grows up into the superhero. I mean, he's so great. He's so terrific. at a kid inside a man's body He's like, whoa, this is all so cool. And then, although it's a cliche to cast Mark Strong as a supervillain at this point, I mean, really? Yeah. A, like, like, once again, if it's Mark Strong... He's probably a bad guy, unless it's the Kingsman. Um, he's perfect for the the villain, Doctor Savannah, because he's so good at playing these humorless characters, like like evil, but like incapable of even understanding what you're talking about when you're trying to be like light. And the two of them together are are really bounce off each other well. There's that great scene where Savannah's like doing his evil person speech up in the air and then you look and Zach Levi's like a mile away. And he's like, what? I can't hear. Are you doing some sort of supervillain speech?
0: <laughs> it's filled with humor that really works here. Yeah. And money shots that weren't in the advertising. Yeah. There's a, lot, there's a lot to it. You know, I think superhero marketing is getting better. Marvel is kind of leading the charge on this, but superhero film marketing is getting better about leaving things... Uh, at the movies. Um, For the longest time, you could watch a trailer. And Dark Phoenix is a good example of this. You could watch the trailer for Dark Phoenix and kind of put it together A to B, C to D, in your head just from watching the trailer so that when you go to the movies, there's not a hell of a lot of surprises outside of what was delivered in the trailer. Right. Venom was kind of the same way. Um, But then you end up with things like Endgame where whole chunks of the actual plot and story are not even included remotely in the trailer. Right. And Shazam is very similar in that... This has a lot of big effects moments. There's like monsters and crap in here that were not evident in the trailers at all. And I like that. I like going and sitting down to a superhero movie and having actual genuine surprises uh, outside of what was advertised,
1: I thought this had quite a few. I agree, mm-hmm. and you know, often you're like, "Oh, there's some funny jokes in the trailer," but I bet you those are the four funniest moments yeah. in the movie, and everything else is kind of lame. This movie's rife with very funny moments
0: because a lot of the funny moments in it are so character-driven they can't be excised for easy trailer placement. Like, right. it's so much a a kind of a warm, uh, you know, it's not a, it, it ain't a drama. It's a Shazam movie, uh-huh. but. It's rich with characters, like the mom and the dad, the the other kids that are part of this foster family, like everything feels so um well realized and 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 full. Uh, it really benefits the movie, especially as it finds the, those moments of humor and stuff between the interplay between the characters and things like that. The biggest thing I was scared about was knowing that this was based on the Jeff Johns New 52 Shazam. And I'm right. hardcore. Like, I love old school Captain Marvel. I grew up on Shazam. He's one of my favorite superheroes. I only really knew him from the old television show. I used to watch <laughs> I used to watch that. I used to watch the Filmation cartoon. Right. Like, love this character. Love this character. And I don't love New 52 Shazam because Billy Batson's a, excuse me, shithead. Right. And one of the things that I really like about this movie is that they temper that Uh, with heart and with humor and some of that doesn't quite read in the comic by by johnson frank and it it plays here it plays funny it plays heartfelt so even though they keep all the they keep all the story beats like it used to be that billy's parents were explorers who died and he was orphaned but he was smart and he went and lived on his own he got a job at a radio station like he was raised by an uncle Mm -hmm. all that's jettisoned all that's gone basically billy is like Sort of abandoned by his parents, he's bounced around from foster home to foster home. He's adopted into this new family. None of that is, you know, is even remotely canonical to any of the stuff that's happened in the past. And so, those changes came across more abrasive reading the comic because he was so mean. He was mean to his foster family and 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 mean to other people. And when he turned into Sam, he came across like a bully. See, like, ch- even took- the, even the getting the beer and stuff is right. in the comic or getting money out of atm stuff is in the comic but in the movie it plays so much sweeter and funnier and goofier and lighter well, than it does on the, the comic That's the thing page. he's
1: not a dick he's any 14-year-old boy who suddenly got godlike powers for yeah. at least a little while and i like that he's presented as genuinely a good kid mm-hmm. right but when he does get this power He gets distracted by it. He's a little like already, he's already felt like totally alone his whole life. He's like, they set up very good reason why he doesn't want to have to rely on anyone else, why he doesn't trust other people, but still good at, good at heart. And I even like the fact that like, you know, before this, Shazam the Wizard, played by Jam, Jam Hansu, was looking for the right person, pure heart. Basically at this point, he's like, I guess you'll do, <laughs> which like it's no, he's not perfect, and I like that a lot about him, and it becomes an arc character arc for him of basically learning with great power comes great responsibility, if you will, yeah, and it becomes about learning about family, the importance of family uh so a little bit here, guys, if you don't want to know, uh like a little bit of a spoiler, so fast forward for a second, but I loved so much when all the rest of the kids turned into the Marvel family, that I think I started crying a little bit in the movie theater. I was just like, that was so amazing and heartfelt and just felt so good watching that play out. I was just yeah. very, it was an exciting choice because it was one of those you're like, I'm sure this will happen at some point later down the line in a movie. I really didn't expect they were going to go there in the first movie, and I just loved the hell out of that.
0: Toy Isle spoiled it. Uh, oh, did it for really? Me before, like two weeks before I saw the movie, the because uh, they didn't you know they didn't drop that in the trailer at all in the toy aisle there were all these other members of the Marvel family and I was like well I guess that's happening <laughs> um, when it happened in the movie uh, again it's one of those things where in the comic I had not fallen in love with those characters in the way that I had like Mary Marvel and Freddie and and the other members of the Marvel family like back in the day. And, uh, yeah, and the movie is just winning. It's just, it wins you over. It's a crowd pleaser. No, totally. I saw it with a, you know, an, an opening, like, Saturday matinee audience, and you could tell that the crowd, it was not full of, like, people like me. <laughs> not full of like comic book nerds as I wear like my sidekick store comic shop shirt <laughs> right. here on your couch um, It was not full of people like me it was full of like families and stuff like that and it was right. a it was a genuine crowd pleaser like it you could the audience was like laughing as if it were just like any other comedy it was it was it is one of the most pleasant surprises of 2019, and I, you know, the it, I'm kind of frustrated because I'm like, I want to see a sequel with the same cast, but those kids were already on the cusp of puberty, and yeah. I'm like, ah, yeah. damn it, like... <laughs> right,
1: you're, like if you're going to get on it, you better do it now. Yeah, <laughs> which they very well you, could. You can't be.
0: have an adult turn into an adult. No, it doesn't play the same. Not quite
1: the same. You know, it's funny. My my wife saw this with me. One of the few movies she's been able to go with me this year because of her schedule. But uh she really enjoyed the shit out of it, which is rare for super superhero movies, She doesn't have anything problem with them, but she doesn't gravitate towards them. And yeah. this one, she was like, "Oh, I really liked this a lot." I was like, yeah. It's perfect for all all sorts. Now, the good news is, if you like this and you're going, is there anything on here that makes this worth owning? Actually, yeah. This is a very respectable collection of bonus features on this thing that are pretty good. There's the magical world of Shazam, uh, Shazam for about 27 minutes is a featurette that goes exactly where you'd expect to, except it's fun to watch. Everybody is having a good time doing this. Zachary Levi is just a crack up. He's one of those people who's just fun to watch fucking around. Everybody clearly loved him, which goes into even more with sort of like, Half gag reel, super fun Zach for three minutes with everyone talking about goofy stuff he does on set. Like, uh, his apparent thing is, anytime the cameras stop rolling, he starts dancing and singing. Like, that's just his thing. Uh, and I've, I've heard this before as well on other things. Like, the moment the camera stops and they're like, okay, hold, he'll be like, love, exciting, and new, or whatever. You know, <laughs> I don't know why the love boat theme is what came to mind, but uh, there's 37 minutes of deleted and alternate scenes and Boy, did they cut a lot
0: out of this film. Oh really? Film. I haven't dived into those.
1: Oh man, it's a huge amount of different stuff. Like like ob- there's a good god 20 minutes of this were like either a completely different version of sequences in the film or were subplots that were not in the film at all. Uh like the whole in- intro with Dr. Savannah as a kid completely different. Like like different people playing his dad, different guy playing his dad, wow. like set in, a, in their house. Like, he transforms in an elevator. It's, like, like really different. So there's stuff on here that's well worth seeing. There's a three-minute gag reel, which is funny. There's five uh, minutes, 42 seconds of who is Shazam, which is just them talking about the history of the character, uh, which could have been longer, because there's a lot to talk about, I think. It would have been interesting to have a longer one. There's Carnival Scene set Study, which, of course, is the big payoff set piece at the end for 10 minutes, which they go through every single bit of how they did it, which is pretty interesting from a lot of the changes. And a lot a lot of the deleted scenes you'll see, (laughs) They filmed a very different version of that entire sequence, and like, and then went back and redid it. I almost an odd choice, not entirely clear on why they did. There's Shazamly values, for six minutes, which looks at the younger actors. Uh, And there's a motion comic called Superhero Hookie for four minutes, which is you know with with Zachary Levi voicing it, which is basically he's got to take off from school and become Shazam to save a thing at the museum. Yeah, it's it's unnecessary, but cute little extra for
0: kids who get this. But yeah, this is really solid, man. It's the first one of the DC films comparatively that I felt like is on the has has hit the notes that the Marvel movies hit. Agreed. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, Our next one is another superhero movie, but of a very different stripe. And that is Fast Color. Uh, It's described as a drama sci fi thriller. But come on, it's a superhero movie like like flat out superhero movie like it like sort of feels like something that would have come out in on image comics for sure as opposed to marvel or dc but i saw this at south by with martin thomas and we both just fell madly in love with this movie and then started to ask is this ever going to actually get released because i think it was like two years ago i'm not even sure but it feels like it anyway but gugu mabatha raw is quickly turning into a major star it's been a lot of great stuff plays the lead in this as Ruth who would you meet her she's on the run uh, hitchhiking from place to place and the first thing we see that's really weird is she's staying in this hotel and she has something happen some sort of epileptic seizure and it causes a massive earthquake so you're like oh she has powers and we find out that like apparently the world's been going through this this possibly world ending before too much longer drought like it's just not raining Um, uh, crops are dying people are desperate Uh, everything costs a fuck ton of money. And the scientific group is looking for, because they are aware of her abilities. And at first it's just sort of a, we're just kind of following her around as she's trying not to get caught. She has an encounter with one of the scientists who is is sort of military scientist, if you will, that does not work out in his favor. But the movie really takes off when she decides to go back home to her family stead. And we discover that both her mother and the little girl who, clearly evident is her daughter, not not her mom's, not her sister, uh, both have powers as well. Pretty much the same power, just with different effects, Mm -hmm. different varieties, slight different varieties. And The base idea is they can manipulate particulate matter. They can take something apart completely, and then if they choose to, put it back together again. Um, Which she used to be able to do, and then she couldn't, and the reason she left was because she was having these epileptic dangerous seizures. And so she started drinking and using drugs heavily because the only thing that stopped them from happening. Anyway, I don't want to go any further than that into the story. I've already probably said too much, but I say I found this very resonant and beautifully shot. Uh, Fast color refers to an effect that the mom and daughter have that she doesn't, which is basically at certain points when using their powers, they see the just beautiful bright colors everywhere, which I never was entirely sure what that was supposed to be, but it works to great effect in the third act of the
0: film. Yeah, what did you think of this? You've been very quiet. I have. I don't have really strong opinions about it. To be completely honest, I thought it was okay.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and I and I had wanted to see it based on the trailer. Um, it kind of plays out like a like an indie version of like an X Men movie. Yeah, it, it reminded me at times probably the most of like a movie like Logan. Um, yeah, it's Logan. Like, yeah, yeah, it's an art house Logan. Yeah, yeah, essentially what it is. <laughs> Um, it's it's certainly a movie that I think I think people will discover over time and then and then it'll end up on like underappreciated lists and stuff like Absolutely. the twenty most underseen sci fi movies of the two thousand tens and it'll right. be like oh or fast colors on them. alternate superhero yeah. movies that you may not have heard of. Yeah. Uh and so I, I don't think it's I don't think it's not worthwhile. I just um It just didn't click with me, for whatever reason, the way uh, that it might have with other viewers. Um, I didn't... I think that it was a little bit more... I wanted it to... For a a movie that's character-based, I felt like the characters weren't entirely well-drawn. Everything was still kind of situational. Everything was a little bit more everything was a little bit more about uh, plot specifics and who knew when, where, and, like, that kind of stuff, as opposed to who these people are at their core. Um, So for it to be a personal drama um, and to not get personal in a way that I would have liked to have seen, you know, I can't... I always always have trouble criticizing a movie for something that it's not, but in this case, I, I... I just thought it was okay. Okay. Uh, I mean, I kind of like the uh, the
1: subtext, mm-hmm. which is basically, you know, that this women of color and women in general sort of ha- having this power for so long and now are speaking up and now are the key to the future. To some degree, this a very different way of looking at the world. Yeah. Which is... Treated in the most subtextual of subtext, but it is decidedly there, and it kind of has this, like I said, a, an ethereal resonance that I strongly felt in a good, in a powerful way watching this. And I think, like I said, Gugu mbatha is
0: such an affecting and
1: great actress that she really sold this for me.
0: I, I may be underselling it. I think it's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, I think it's pretty good. Okay, fair. <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to sound too harshly critical because I don't have a lot of criticisms. Right. It's just one of those things just that sometimes didn't stick you to respond to a movie and sometimes you don't get. That. But it is pretty good. Uh, there's
1: audio commentary with the writer director Julia Hart and writer producer Jordan Horowitz. There's a featurette "A Mother's Power" making fast color, and then it comes with a digital copy, which I always like because indie films you don't expect with that as much, and I love it when they do. Usually it's just the big release films you get the the, the digital copy, and I love my voodoo account. Yeah. <laughs> uh let's move on to our next one which is Dogman. i'm reasonably sure i know i saw this before this and i think it may have been fantasia like a screener i'm not entirely sure it might have been south by unclear but regardless this movie dog
0: man it's another superhero movie about a man that's bitten by a radioactive dog <laughs> he gains the powers and and proportionate strength of dogs No, it's not right. No, it is not.
1: Um, So this is a a foreign language film. Where where was this from? Was this... It's Italy. Is it Italy? Okay. Yeah,
0: and shot in a place in Italy that is so economically impoverished it looks almost post-apocalyptic, like the look of the film. Oh, yeah. Uh, And I really liked that because I think... I always like it when you get to look at other places. Like, one of the things I appreciated about Dog the Bounty Hunter, of all shows, <laughs> is that you're so used to Hawaii being portrayed as, like, idyllic and, like, constantly beautiful. And Dog just made it look like any other place with apartments and jack-in-the-boxes and, like, all that kind of crap. And, and, and yeah, one of the things I appreciate about this is that we're so used to Italy being, like, presented on film as it's all gorgeous vistas and rolling mountains and vineyards and you know this is very much like it this is a place in a state of decay
1: yeah it's a shithole
0: yeah
1: uh yeah another thing about hawaii they like spam they eat all <laughs> the fucking time i'm like i'm not going on vacation to only be served hot spam gross mm-hmm. fucking gross. but i can stay home and
0: eat as much as i want. <laughs> <Ew>. <laughs>
1: I don't even eat Steakums anymore, much less <laughs> Spam. Actually, I probably would eat a Steakum if you put it in front of me. I don't know if I'd eat a slab of Spam. I've never had a Steakum. I, I used to eat the shit out of them in college. Yeah, it was Easy peasy. Anyway, why don't you tell the story of this one? I did the last one.
0: Oh, gosh. Okay. There's a... Um, the Dog Man tells a story of this, uh, this guy who's a dog groomer in Italy. Marcello. Marcello. He has this uh, friend who is a... A ne'er-do-well. This guy's a thug. He's scary. Simone. He's gross. Rides a motorcycle around town. Nobody likes him. And I like that they
1: actually overhear some of the old people going, maybe we should pay someone to kill him. Yeah. they like, what?
0: <laughs> yeah. Marcelo doesn't. He's very meek. Uh, He has a relationship with his daughter, um, but the really only other relationship he has, nobody really notices him other than Simone. Mm -hmm. And Simone will go over to him and be like, hey, let's go. Let's go out. Let's go do something. Let's go here. Let's go there. Now, when they go out, Simone always gets in trouble every single time, but it creates a bond between the two so that later uh, when Simone hatches a plan that directly affects Marcello, it ostracizes Marcello from the community that he wants to be a part of in the first place. Mm I really, really liked this movie. Okay. I, I
1: was mixed.
0: Yeah. There are things I really like about
1: this. Uh, there's one sequence in particular where he gets talked into doing a sort of a impromptu heist and, uh, as the driver. And when he comes out, they're like, Oh, that, they're like, Oh, that dog is barking. And like, What you do is like, oh, we just put it in the freezer. It's like, you left the dog in the freezer? And then he breaks back into the place to get the dog out of the freezer and coax it back to life. And I was like, that was adorable. (laughs) I was like, aw. And it makes this guy who is not by any means someone in general that you're like, a, a hero mm-hmm. character, not even really an anti-hero, but there's parts of him that are so soft and cuddly that, like that, that you're like, well, okay, you're not all bad. You love your daughter, you love dogs, and he's definitely the protagonist more than Simone, who's just a big bully. Yeah, you know. Um, I don't know. I, I thought that towards the end there was a little bit of sort of like, okay, I guess you're you're going for almost neo-realist style, and it was like, but the but there's so much. I don't know. There's so much of you hating this guy, Simone, and wanting him get his ultimate payoff
0: that it doesn't really build
1: to the kind of payoff you were hoping for.
0: Yeah, it is definitely restrained as far as these kind of crime films go. I think that it teases that it's going to get really graphically violent because mm-hmm. because of the how grimy the film is up to that point. Um, but it's relatively, as far as these things go, it's relatively subdued in how violent it gets in the finale. Um, and I say that, it's still very violent. But a lot of times the gore in these type of, like, darker crime movies ends up being, like, horror movie levels of gore. Oh, yeah. And it doesn't, it it stays relatively restrained. It ends up being more concerned with Marcello's psychological state than any feeling of, like, revenge or payoff or seeing Simone get what's coming to him.
1: Uh, in fact, if you really like this, you can keep this one. I don't know if you want it.
0: <laughs> I would keep it. Okay. I, I, re- I well, didn't really like go. it. I'm gifting it. It's one it. of those. You know, there's been a couple movies that we've gotten where I think the cinematography is so good that I, I don't know if there's a Blu-ray release. I don't um, think there was. Yeah, that's a shame too because it's 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 a very um, it is it it's beautifully shot ugliness. I don't know what the deal with this apartment is, but they have like a weird like in the courtyard of this place, which is basically this apartment sits in like a mud hole. And in the courtyard of this mud hole are like broken down what look like carnival rides, like yeah. small carnival rides in the middle
1: of it's it. Like you said, almost post apocalyptic. Yeah, it's, uh, it
0: it has just a, a really unique, uh, a really unique setting, um, and and I liked and you know talking about being empathetic to the main character. I was empathetic to the main character. I was I was on board with this almost from go and then ended up really enjoying it. It's not one that I may have sought out on my own, but I, I really liked it. There, And I guess it's from a director people know. What's the guy that did? Yeah, Gamora. Um, mm-hmm. And I remember when that came out, a lot of people were praising Gamora as being like a really authentic, organized crime movie. I never saw Gamora. See,
1: it's one of those ones everybody loved and I was kind of mixed on too. Yeah. So maybe I just, this guy and I don't click together. I don't I
0: know. I did not see Gamora, but I did like Dogman. They made a TV show out of it. You know, and the is, the cover. This is like the Planet of the Apes DVD cover, oh, where totally. it's like, where it's like, wait, why did they put this on the cover? Like that's literally like the movie, like into the movie. Uh, so, so next up is
1: Arrow Academy's Hold Back the Dawn. This is the release of a 1941 romantic drama that is an odd little film. Uh, directed by Mitchell Lysen, who was, you know, n- not what I would call an A-list Hollywood director, but Billy Wilder was one of the writers on this. I believe the only thing he wrote for them, and this was definitely considered to be the top of the heap for this director. And it feels a little more resonant now in some ways, as does our next film, as they're dealing with immigration. Uh, the story follows Georges, uh, who is when we first is played by uh, Charles Boyer. When we first meet him, he's kind of snuck into a Hollywood film set uh, at Paramount people actually making this movie to talk to this director he's from Romania Uh, he goes to the director I have the story and I need you to pay me money for it right now and he's like what (laughs) what? (laughs) <laughs> he's like, no, you don't understand. This is a great story, but there's no time. You have to do this now. Uh, there's people coming for me, and you're going to want to make a movie out of this. And then the rest of the movie is him recounting this story where he's a gigolo who's arrived in a Mexican border town trying to get into the United States, but told it's going to be up to eight years to get in, uh, which is, wow. Really? And uh, he runs into a former sort of con partner who's got her own grift going on, <laughs> who actually has U.S. citizenship, who got married to an American and then divorced immediately. but managed to keep her citizenship. But he's like, oh, that's not a terrible plan. So he meets this school teacher played by Olivia de Havilland, who has a whole group of kids that they brought down to Mexico on vacation for some reason. <laughs> and at first they have a meet hate, meet not cute. Mm-hmm. But then afterwards he's like, oh, wait, she's a single lady who's like, sort of hated. I bet you I can you worm my way into her heart. And uh, Uh, He does, and they get married almost immediately, which was like Jesus Christ. Things were different (laughs) back then. It actually takes me at at least four, three or four years, but hey, (laughs) who's counting? Um, And so he wants to get into the U.S. with this, but there's like a there's a guy who's sort of like I don't believe that any of this is real, sort of like chasing them, and uh, there is. the problem with the fact that he is genuinely falling in love with this girl, even though he really just wanted to use her for the, for the, the entry. And it ends on a sort of like self noble sacrifice type thing that I really liked. Overall, I thought this was pretty entertaining, much more entertaining than I thought it was going to be by the description. I, I don't know if it makes it a must-watch. So, um, I have a feeling Billy Wilder who definitely added a lot of the comedic elements that are sort of in more in the background than not here kind of helped round out this world. And there is a feeling of a more rounded out world. A lot of the side characters are giving just enough definition to make them interesting. Yeah. But overall I thought this was not bad.
0: Yeah, there's some snappy, there's some snappy dialogue as well that has Wilder's fingerprints on it. I, it's not it's not fully snappy, but there's there's trace elements of Snappy in, in the movie. I found the uh, DNA of Snappy. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, this is fine. It's... Uh, <laughs> wow, it's, faint praise. This phrase. is fine. It is It is what it is. It's it's a dog it drinking is a cup
1: of coffee in hell right now.
0: It's a story of, um, you know, it, it's exactly what it... It's, it is exactly what it said it was, which is, oh, it, this is a story about a con man who uh, tries to... Uh, con his way into a woman's heart and then ends up falling for her and it's like okay and that's then what happened that's what happened like, <laughs> that's what I watched uh, it was um, it was fine it wasn't as um, I wish it were a little zippier I wish it were a little snappier it kind of it toys
1: with being a noir film but it never commits yeah which is weird and it toys with being a romantic comedy but it never commits
0: I found it unusually draggy like if you kind of know what's going on and then it's sort of like uh, wheel spinning is like the wrong word, but if you know, if you know what's going on and then there's like, if it's minutes before something new happens, like 15 minutes, 20 minutes or so before like a new element is introduced or a new plot point is introduced, it makes a film feel a little slower than it would otherwise. Yeah. Um, and yeah. So I thought this was, was fine. You know, <laughs> it's, um, it's, it's, interesting in that it opens the way that it does because I wondered then was it based on a true story and then I found out well, it's based on a novel it's not a true story right so I guess the novel opens with a guy going to like a movie studio and, and then the novel's like a flashback but when it opened because it opens with all seriousness like a title screen that's like, at the Paramount lot one day, a stranger showed up, and I know it's a Paramount movie, and I was like, "Wait, what? Like, is <laughs> I know. this how
1: this movie? I thought it was going to be a completely different type of movie yeah. when it starts. And this was actually uh, a huge hit when it came out, got a whole bunch of Academy Award nominations, including Best Picture. But like many films that have ever won or been nominated, separated by decades. Times have changed, <laughs> and 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 aesthetics have changed, and this doesn't. You watch it, you're like, really? This was nominated for Best Picture. It was a different time, <laughs> and it was also probably just odd enough
0: that it took struck notice. Yeah, it's not like there were a whole bunch of stories about immigration grifters that were coming out <laughs> during this time. Uh, the,
1: another immigration film, although. Based on a book that was about someone trying to get out of World War II Germany that came out in 1942, uh, Transit, which was, the book was called that as well, uh, is transposed into a sort of very near future or just modern day, if you will, but alternate modern day in a unnamed, like, well, he's not an unnamed sort of like situation that's happening with this guy Jorg, who is fleeing from, uh, Paris to Marseille, uh, and his whole goal is to get out of the country entirely which isn't easy because there's a very Nazis analog although not without all the iconography yeah. <laughs> um, who are in control fascists who are demanding everyone's paper and just executing people and in general being unpleasant dicks and he's trying to get out and it's helped a little bit when he finds a bag uh, where he um <laughs> Uh, he got documents in the name of this writer who, who uh, I guess it was in the same building as him or something. I can't remember how he like, like stumbled upon this. But basically, this writer committed suicide, and the landlord's like, "Just take whatever you want. I just want this over with." So he took his bag and had all his travel documents. He's like, "Ooh, now I can actually, I, you know, I can actually get out of here using this." But it's complicated when he meets uh, the. The woman who was looking for her missing husband, who was the writer, and things get weirdly complicated on a number of different levels that
0: I'll be honest, I did not completely understand what was happening. I had to do additional reading for this one to work for me. And once I did that additional reading, then I was like, "Ah, okay, I found the beginning... Inscrutable. Oh, yeah. And it was because I was like, when is this supposed to take place? I, it does not... That I did have to stop it and look up because yeah. I was like, wait, I'm very confused yeah. of like...
1: Because <laughs> everything they're saying feels like this is World War II Germany, but nothing about it... Yeah. I mean, they've got cell phones and yeah. new cars and stuff. So. And
0: so this does not take place in a real time. Um, and is at the end of when all is said and done is also... And I, and I think this helped me enjoy the movie. I think I would have not, I think I would have, it's funny how like having some additional context, most of the time when I watch a movie, I don't want any additional context. And this one, knowing that it was like supposed to be an allegory about like uh, the, the bureaucracy and the inability to leave the place that you want or need to leave and, and being trapped there. Um, Almost, almost as if it's like a purgatory or like a hell on earth. Um, I was reading other you know, things about the film. I was able to go, oh, okay. Like I grasp it. I get it now. But I shouldn't have to do that. Like I shouldn't yeah. have to go look and see what other people are saying about it to be able to go, oh. I mean,
1: sometimes I'll do that with films where I'm like, I just don't know how I feel about this. And then I'll read some other reviews. and. Everything kind of absorbs together, yeah. and I'm like, wow, okay, so after the fact, I'm appreciating, which is, I guess, no different than see a movie, take a couple days to think about it, and you start realizing things about it. But um, I've certainly appreciated some movies a lot more after reading reviews in a very real and heartfelt way. This was not one of those <laughs> for yeah. me. I understood what was happening a little bit better, but... I found the whole thing just sort of meandery and with no sense of – despite being about a guy escaping from fascists with no real sense of tension or or, or a sense of like – any sense of like, oh, there's not a lot of time to get this done. it's – yeah, I don't know. I I just – messy maybe? Like too concerned with – too concerned with letting a, a, a moments just sit. as if you were sitting and brooding over them than moving along a plot that should be the type of plot that moves along.
0: It's an impersonal film as well, and and I have a real problem with narration that describes what I'm seeing on screen. Okay. And I don't mind narration, but if I'm looking at what you're saying, you don't need to say it. If you're telling me And he sits in the cafe and he drinks his coffee as he watches shoppers walk up and down the sidewalk. And that's literally what's in frame.
1: (laughs) What's the point?
0: You don't have to tell me that. Unless it's a
1: joke about someone being annoyed that there's a a, a disembodied voice following them around telling everything, then no, you shouldn't I could not
0: figure why this movie had narration that literally described what I was seeing. Yeah. It it was like, I don't need hand-holding there. (laughs) Hold my hand when it comes to the thing where it's like, I don't understand when this is supposed to take place. Give me some hand-holding there. Right. I don't need hand-holding mm-hmm. to tell me that, and now he's eating breakfast. Well, duh. He's, <laughs> he's got breakfast in front of him. <laughs> oh, I, I thought
1: it. it was lunch. Okay. Should, I was confused. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, so there's a 23-minute uh, or 24-minute making of here. Uh, there's a six-minute The Cinema of Traffic with a, 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 interviewing the director, who also did um, Phoenix, which was a lot of people loved. And I also found
0: Never saw it, but every review I read compared this to Phoenix, and yeah. I'm like, I never even heard of Phoenix.
1: I, I saw it, and I found it very difficult to engage with. Um, there's a and a with the director for 20, 26 minutes. There's In Transit, Thrown Into the World for 41 and a Half Minutes, which is another discussion with him uh, and with the actors from the Berlin International Film Festival. There's a nine-minute Refugee is a Person interview with the main star, Franz Rogowski. There's shooting star, Franz Rogowski, for three minutes, which is the profile of the actor. That's a lot of extras for this film that was not on my radar in any it way. It shape sure or form. is. <laughs> I
0: was like, good Lord. Yeah, For all the Transit fans out there, they just you know making sure that they... They're covered.
1: So you know how you have those bucket list of old classic films that somehow you just never got around to seeing? And you're like, one of these days I'm going to see this. And you kind of resist urges to read about them because you're like, no, no, I already know. I have that on the list as a movie. I'm gonna, When I get a chance, I'm going to watch it. It's supposed to be a classic. And for me, one of those films was uh, 1971's Clute. Which mm-hmm. is I, I just heard again and again and again. I've seen it on so many lists of like, oh, this is a one of the best films of the seventies. Uh, it's often quoted as Jane Fonda's best film by a lot of people. She, which she actually won an Academy Award for her act for her performance here. Yeah, uh, even though it should have been not called Clute, which is the name of Donald Sutherland's character who has very little actual dialogue in the
0: movie. Yeah, Clute's a weird title unless they planned on doing a whole Klute series. It should have like,
1: been named Bree, which was Jane Fonda's character who, yeah. is, who the movie is about. Yeah. For sure. But why don't you tell the plot of this one? I've been oh, sorry. Gosh. I've been dominant. I remember the
0: plot details of this one. There is a uh, a man goes missing and there are, gosh, let me think of what the setup is. A man goes missing, and there are tapes of him with a a call girl, and that provides just enough lead for this detective named Clute to go searching into his past, uh, where he does meet uh, Bree, played by Jane Fonda, who doesn't have a lot of um, direct evidence as to what happened to this guy, but has enough connections to kind of guide Clute through this, like, Underworld of call girls and prostitution and that sort of thing to try to uncover exactly what's going on.
1: And it's odd that a movie that is you know described as neo noir is really just a char- character piece mm-hmm. about Brie, about Jane Fonda's character, and yeah. just how she is transformed. In many ways, by the act of this investigation that is ongoing as a, as a human being and the way she thinks about herself and the way she thinks about the world, to a lesser extent, so is Donald Sutherland's character, Clute. But he is so taciturn, it's hard to tell what he's thinking most times. He's almost like a, like a mime ver- version of the cliché of the hard-boiled detective. <laughs> he's so quiet.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, but I really enjoyed Fonda. I just didn't know this was what this movie was. I mean, I was expecting a honest to God sort of like something more like Altman's uh, uh, noir with Elliot Gould. You know, you're like, oh, this is actually a straight up mystery. And this one, this film is not overly concerned with the actual mystery. No, <laughs> it's definitely more about Fonda, who is absolutely mesmerizing and fascinating to watch. But you need to be prepared before you go into Klute for the type of movie it is.
0: Yeah. It's also very, um, at the time, uh, still feels very frank and very modern in its discussion of, uh, sexual activities and things like that in a way that at the time was probably, you know, tremendously groundbreaking. Um, because even today it still holds, it still maintains a sense of like, um, uh, Modernity and and an idea that uh, those are things that we don't you know even well it's even worse now because now everything is geared towards all of our all of our major movies are all geared towards four quadrant stuff anyways which means nobody's being frankly sexual and like a mainstream you know, studio release. Right. Film. We've so, definitely
1: backed away. Yeah, from So that we've even backtracked
0: section. back away from what was coming out in the early seventies with like drugstore cowboy. We are Herclute living in a very oddly like
1: prudish time, all things considered. Yeah. But um, um, yeah, I mean like this was followed shortly after with like Paul Schrader's hardcore. Yeah. I mean, this opened the door to a lot of much more frank discussions. And I think that's maybe why this isn't as remembered as strongly as some of the other films, like Midnight Cowboy or even Friedkin's Cruising, Mm. is that, I mean, it was definitely kind of shocking when
0: it came out. And it seems kind of tame compared to the stuff that followed in the next five or six years. Yeah, I really, really like this. This is the second time on Digital Noise that I've seen a Jane Fonda performance that I really uh, responded well to and really fell in love with because I, I think growing up, you know, she was just the aerobics lady. I mean, to be completely honest. Uh, yeah, no, I agree. she was. Me too. And it wasn't, you know, in the 90s, I, I discovered Barbarella. Yeah. But I haven't seen a lot of her, I haven't seen a lot of her catalog of films and they shoot horses. Uh, so good. They was so good. So great. Flute is so good. She really, I feel like we as, a, <laughs> as Americans, uh, you know, I don't know how much, Sabotage she did to her own career with being Hanoi Jane back in the day and all that kind of stuff. But we've really underappreciated um, her contributions to, uh, to cinema in just expanding the kind of complicated roles women could play on screen because both this character and the character from They Shoot Horses are messy characters that are protagonists that have really, really rough edges in completely different ways And have very real thoughts and feelings and emotions about things that don't feel, um, they feel, they feel deeply real. They don't feel like Hollywood calculation. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I thought she's really, really good. I like Sutherland. He's kind of white bread in this, but he's one of those that's like his, his white breadness, um, can easily trick people into thinking that he's closed minded, which is not necessarily the case. Um, and so I could relate to that because I, I'm also kind of white bread. I'm also very, very open-minded. So, um, uh, Makes so more
1: sense now for making Blair to play That
0: resonated with me. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I really enjoyed Clute. I liked it a lot. And it was one of those that, you know, you, the fear always with these older movies that you have on your back burner is that they're not going to live up to whatever the hype was. Again, the murder mystery... Uh, is is a distraction. It's a yeah. it's a clothesline which with to hang the clothes on, um, but I really enjoy Clue.
1: Yeah, it's a, a very well made movie. Apparently, Alan J. Pacula deviated way away from the original script. Yeah. It was like this was not at all. I mean, the original was a straight up detective movie, and he was like, "That's not an interesting story. Let's make the story about this story about Brie. And, yeah, that makes it an interesting story. Uh, this is Criterion. Putting this out, which means it comes with a great booklet though, with two essays, one of which by the director called She's Nowhere. There's a collection of new interviews uh, conducted by Matthew Miel for an upcoming documentary about Alan J. Pacula. And so this sort of takes several of those and uh, compiles them together for 18 minutes, including archival interviews. Uh, there's Jane Fonda being interviewed by Ileana Douglas for reasons I'm not clear on. Is Does she have a show somewhere on, like, Bravo or something? I don't know. I don't know, well, Liliana Douglas, but it's a nice little interview.
0: It's thirty. Oh, she has minutes. a podcast. Oh, is that what it is? It may be. Okay. I know she has a podcast where she interviews people. So. It's,
1: it's a really, it is an interesting interview. It covers a lot of the exact same stuff that's in the booklet. But um, yeah, uh, there's the look of clout. For 26 minutes, uh, where fashion writer takes a look at all the the, the style. Of course, there's a lot of cause 1971. There's a lot of sort of wow, look at the people at this disco, and look at yeah. this scene. And you're like, okay, if you like that sort of thing, there's a lot of stuff to 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 get excited about. Uh, refresh my memory. Who plays the uh, the pimp? Oh, uh, uh, the uh, uh, what's his name? Jaws? Roy Scheider. Oh,
0: that's right. That's Who right. That's
1: basically right. came stepped over right from all, all that jazz. It feels yeah. like he's playing like this very sort of might-be-gay, might-not-be-gay 70s guy, who's got, like, super fashion, and he's very effete.
0: I found him, I found him But also threatening? Yeah, like, there's scenes where the camera just shows him, and he's just looking and thinking, and I found him so sinister. Mm -hmm. Like, just, he's exuding it, you know? Acting with his eyes, as they say. But yeah, he's just...
1: There's uh, a lot of weird cameos in this, like like Rosalind Cash and Lee Wallace, Candy Darling, Sylvester Stallone, Richard um, Jordan.
0: Uh, did I see they're,
1: they're in the club. Okay. Yeah, I yeah. know. You're like, okay, early films for them. And then uh, Gene Stapleton is like... Clown! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Literally. Yep. Uh, I love Stapleton, but sometimes it seems like she had one speed. I know that She kind of
0: does play a proto-Edith and Kluge a little <laughs> bit.
1: <laughs> uh, there's a tel- two television interviews, one with Alan J. Pacquiao and Dick Cavett Show, one with Jane Fonda and Midge McKenzie. Um, there's Clute in New York, a vintage program which is looking at when they were making it. They're sort of Following around them, looking at like oh, what New York is it like now, uh, and then uh, yeah, it's it's a solid package and a cool cover. I like the cover they put together for this. Let's move on to something very different. That's Mojin the Warm Worm Valley. This is the third book, or uh, sorry, third movie to be based on a book that apparently. Two of them are the same company, and one of them is a different company. And everyone is deeply confused at what the hell is going on here, apparently, to some degree. Because none of them really capture what's going on in the book. Mm-hmm. Like, they all take elements and then go a completely different direction. And the two – this is the sec- second one by the same company who did the first one. Um, they're based on a book of Chronicles of the Ghostly Tribe from China. And I guess the, uh, the Lost Legend – I believe, is the one that's the previous one for this. But there's no crossover. There's none of the same characters. It's not the same
0: story. Why is it called Mojin? Wait, but it starts with introducing characters as if you know them. But
1: not the characters of the first one.
0: (laughs) Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. So when I sat down to watch this, I had a vague awareness it was a sequel. Uh And I went, I hope that I'm not left behind. And then the movie literally opens with, like introducing all these different people. And I'm like, oh, this must be a sequel because it's like, oh, I'm being introduced to Fatty and like whatever the other one's <laughs> name is. That's the name in the movie. Like, By the I'm way, not calling him Fatty. He's kid- not even that fat.
1: No, he's not at all. But you know why he's called that? Because he was a uh, that kid from the internet meme photos of the little fat Chinese kid who's kind of looking back with a sardonic look that yeah. was memed everywhere in like the 2000s. That's that kid. He transformed that random photo that went viral on the internet into like having a music and acting career. Oh,
0: it's a real guy. Yeah,
1: that's oh, that guy that. and he goes by Fatty in like everything that he plays because that was how he was referred Just to like in, the in the Jackie picture.
0: Chan. Everybody's like, you know, no matter who he is, he's like Jackie. <laughs> um,
1: very odd, but yeah, that's that same kid who's who's like, yeah, that's what I do. Yeah. I'm like, I'm the, like, hey, it's kid with that photo I love that photo. So I just
0: assumed all that setup was I was being introduced to these people no. because it was like a refresher, like right? all your favorite characters are back. No. But no.
1: No. Okay. Totally disconnected. All, all right, right, well. So I don't want to get into the bizarre level of unnecessary detail that it starts with that I really don't need to know. What it comes down to is these dudes have disfigured shoulders. That's a curse by someone. And to solve it, they have to go into this mystical mountain thing and do a bunch of, like, national treasure shit. <laughs> like, open secret doors and do magic things and fight giant CG monsters and uh, to get a thing that will cure them, that will keep them from exploding when they turn 40. Um, and that's basically the plot. A team of
0: badasses... That that are all going in here, <laughs> but kids, I got bad news for you. Everybody explodes when they everybody turn explodes forward. when they turns forty. That's part of the deal. Uh, this was not good.
1: It was, I, it was colorful <laughs> and it's
0: manic. It's very uh, PlayStation y. They kind yeah. of like go from set piece to set piece. The effects aren't very good. Um, I think these. It's a, it's an effects movie where the effects are bad, and that's the problem with it. It's supposed to be a big Tomb Raider esque. Like spectacle adventure in the jungle, being chased by giant scorpions and crap, but n- none of the there's essentially three great big effect sequences, and all three of them look janky and bad and janky is being kind. Um, and so for a movie to be built around special effects and have bad special effects is like that's that's no bueno. It's a very middle of the road uh, Indiana Jones wannabe with with. With bad special effects, I, I didn't really like it. It was painless; like yeah. it goes by quickly. It's super. It's not, it's not boring. It moves. Yeah. yeah. You, you. But it is. Uh, but you know, it's three video game cutscenes in a row, and then credits is yeah. sort of what it is.
1: Yeah. I, and you know, everybody's pretty,
0: yeah. even fatty.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <laughs> Who they sure. keep referring to is actually being fat. And you're looking at me like. You're really no bigger than any of the other people in here. It's just that weird. It's a Chinese thing, I guess. I don't know. I don't know. I, I really, it, yeah. Like, it's like if that little girl is staring back with that sardonic smile that everyone puts in front of something burning became her professional acting name was, like, sociopath child. And she
0: just went by that in every movie she was in. A positive. It, it may be. It may be a positive. I don't know. Um, they uh, They don't mind if characters die. That is true. They, uh, yeah, so there's that, at least. Like, anybody's kind of fair game to get swallowed by giant CG snakes or whatever yeah. the hell.
1: Oh, and um, if you're looking for a worm in this movie, there is none. That's just, a, a worm is a rarely used anymore term for dragon or giant snake, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, and it's referring to the giant snake, which is on the cover, which I guess should be a spoiler. There are note. flying worms. Oh, there were flying worms. There That's were flying true. worms. Sort of. I mean, they were worm-esque. Yeah, they were like helicopter worms. Yeah. That was a weird sequence. That was a weird sequence. It is it is weird in the idea of like, I mean, it's enjoyable more from the concept probably of watching it as Americans because going into it and knowing the CG is going to be terrible. But these scenarios are so odd. You'd never see these happen in an American film. Like, they're just weird ideas of shit that they're fighting, except for maybe the giant snake. Yeah. But everything else is like, okay, that who thought that up? <laughs> anyway, let's move on to... Arrows, we're getting to Arrows, uh, uh, or our horror movie corner from Arrows and Artsploitation. First up, Arrows, The Chill Factor, and mm. now we're not talking about that 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 action, terrible action comedy Chill Factor.
0: And not the other terrible action movie Chill Factor. So what I discovered was, there's so many movies called Chill Factor, damn it. There's the Cuba Gooding Jr. Skeet Ulrich Chill Factor. Not good. There's a Paul Williams Island action movie called Chill Factor. Can't speak as to that. Uh, and then there's this one, which is the Chill Factor.
1: All right, so Aaron and I reviewed a movie called. Tra- was it Aaron and You and I? Trapped Alive. Okay. Trapped Alive, which is yep. uh, also like when we wa- reviewed that, we we uh, referenced it, there was this production house that started up in Northern Wisconsin. Yes. And we're you know, we're gonna be a thing. And they made a few films, and even then they were having trouble tracking down what those films were because they would become so obscure and just buried. Trapped yeah. Alive was one of them. Hey, guess what? The chill factor is one of the others. I liked Trapped Alive more than you. Yeah, you did. Uh,
0: Back when we reviewed it on Digital Noise, I I liked Trapped Alive pretty good. I thought it was like a USA Up All Night movie, but it was one that I I, (laughs) – it reminded me of simpler times. It reminded me of late night, midnight on cable, those days when I was like 13 or 14 years old. (laughs) I didn't love it. This, on the other hand (laughs) –
1: Oh, I this think I think I may have liked this one better. Did you like then. this one better than me? I still didn't really love it at oh, all. Oh man, but, like, this stank! It's just, I think for one to one thing, I was a little taken by surprise what it ended up being about. Because like a bunch of really attractive people getting on snowmobiles, like yeah, let's go do the snowmobile thing. We're gonna go, going to go to Blackfriar Lake. Blackfriar Lake. We're
0: going to take the snowmobiles out to Blackfriar Lake,
1: and one of them gets seriously injured doing something stupid and so like oh god what are we gonna do and there's a storm coming in and so there's an old cabin and we'll go in there you know with cabin which is like cabins are in movies bizarrely huge, considering we can see how
0: not huge this it is. This has, like, a full kitchen with, like, big industrial refrigerators. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it <laughs> well, just keeps it was, it's going. A, it's a church is what it's supposed to be. Yeah,
1: right? but you, we see it from the outside. It's like, it's just not that big, but this is, like, the House of Leaves or some shit. Yeah. I don't know. It's, like, it's, it's big inside. So they bring him in there, and then, not to put too fine a point on it, there's something evil, and it starts possessing him, and people start dying gorily And um, it doesn't make a whole hell of a lot of sense. How? What? Any of that was going no. on? There's some tie back to shit that happened in the
0: past. Uh, Everybody has sex with each other slowly oh, yeah. and with no nudity. Yeah, it's very passionless, very- like weird sex. There's the score is bad. Yeah, score is really bad. Um, there's a lot of like weird racism. In the movie. Yeah, and like <laughs> like it opens with this voiceover of like. The year was 1990, and this was the last summer I ever spent with my friends. Terry was dating a black girl. (laughs) I was like, wait, what?
1: What is happening Yeah, this is (laughs) a strange scene where they all meet at this bar that has to have the movie go, see, we're
0: anti-racism.
1: Look, we're very pro-forward here. And Uh yet the whole thing kind of... And
0: then he says lines like, I'm the only guy in the world dating a black girl that can't sing and stuff like that. I'm (laughs) just like, dude... (laughs) I, the only thing I really liked about this was the, like, Patty and Selma voiceover that open and close the movie. <laughs> I really liked the, like, jaded cigarette, like, East Coast, like, <laughs> it was a winter I'd never forget. <laughs> like, I liked all, all of that, having <laughs> to do with Chill Factor.
1: I. It's just that this thing was so ridiculous. It's bad in the way that I found kind of appealing. Like, all the things you mentioned made me laugh. I was like, that's funny. It's not supposed to be. I'm not laughing with you movie. I'm laughing at you, but having much more entertained by it in that context than I was by Trapped Alive. It's not a good movie on any, in any way you could possibly look at it. But if you're one of those, if you're the people you're like, I got to see every last 80s horror film. Well. Was this 80s? One was, was the 90s. This? Was it 90? Yeah, 1993. Well, it feels 80s. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you that. Um, there's audio commentary with uh, the special makeup effects assistant. <laughs> there's so many features on this and stupid the writer. Movie. I know. There's lights, cameras, snowmobiles, <laughs> <laughs> which is an interview with the production manager who was talking about this was her first big gig. Uh, fire and ice with the stunt coordinator. Uh, Portrait of the makeup artist. Man, they were really digging here. Uh, Ouija and chill, because <laughs> of course it's like a weird sort of off-brand Ouija thing that sets off. There's all like all an this evil eye
0: spinner that they find. It's like this massive tabletop disc with a needle on it and an eye in the center that they like spin and ask questions. And when it stops on stuff, then they it's, it answers. The it's questions.
1: it's the once again, special makeup uh, effects assistant. Never has a special makeup effects assistant gotten so much love and bonus
0: features. Uh, there's the original. Doesn't <laughs> it feel like all these special features are made for the family members of the people that worked on the movie? <laughs> I
1: know. There's original VHS work print of the film dude it's the full work print it's longer than the version why would anyone watch (laughs) (laughs) there's demon possessed original home which was the alternate title for it. demon possessed original home video vhs trailer uh where it literally goes point by point with everything that happens in the whole film for the trailer as they used to do and still do on occasion yeah this is terrible but i found it more amusingly terrible than the other one uh i found it I actually found it considerably more amusing than the next one, Blood Paradise, which I found interminable.
0: I liked Blood Paradise. Oh, God. Okay, you talk about it then. Uh, there is a, an erotic fiction writer who is um, experiencing a bit of cancel culture after her, her latest book is kind of flopped. And because she's on the tail end of cancel, cancel culture... Uh, it's decided that it'd be best for her to just go hide out in Sweden for a little while. Her agent has booked her a place on this farm to just go and chill, let this bad press ride out. Maybe she can get some ideas for her new novel. And so she goes out there to work on the book um, where she meets all kinds of colorful Swedish wacky weirdos. This is the summer of, um, hey, don't go to the Swedish countryside uh, in your horror movies. Um, This does not really deliver as a horror film. Uh, it delivers pretty well as a very, very dark comedy. I thought some of the stuff was, um, and it, it to me seemed like it was intentionally funny. Um, and I think it's pretty. I think it's more successful at that stuff at being kind of humorous than it is at being a horror movie. Um, I also thought that it skirts around some subtextual things about how we ascribe. Uh, we ascribe sexual feelings onto people whose work is primarily sexual, mm-hmm. although it doesn't dive like fully into that. I liked the moments that it kind of touches on that. Um, I, I dug it at the end of the day. I kind of dug it. Man, um, but I just, again, it there's not like a good payoff. It is, um, you know, it's, it's a little bit trashy. It's really, it's, at times it's kind of pretty. Um, But I liked all the wacky, weird characters. They kind of kept me on edge. The movie does a good job of introducing enough weirdos where you're not sure which weirdo is going to be like the <laughs> the actual weirdest of the weirdos. That's true. Some of the weirdos are nicer than other weirdos. It I, turns out. I, I don't um, disagree. But and and I I kind of dug it. I would watch
1: like, another movie by the these one people. guy who's heard, like one of the first side characters we meet is the the, the driver who yeah. works for who, who works for who's clearly got a crush on the writer and is really kind of like.
0: Like borderline rapey. Yeah, like I'm your biggest fan, and has like a whole duffel bag full of books when he goes to pick her up.
1: Yeah, that. and he's always staring at her like a, 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 at her legs and stuff. I'm mm-hmm. like, okay. I mean, they're
0: trying to make him a sympathetic character to some level. I'm like, what? Is But that again, happening? I think it ties back to that thing of when you know somebody's work is primarily sexual. I think, as a man, like, and I don't know, maybe I'm just speaking for myself, but I think that there's you're primed to think of those people in a sexual way, and you kind of have to like talk yourself. If, if you know you kind of have to talk yourself backwards and be like that's just a job like if you met somebody that was like an exotic dancer you met somebody that's like a right. sex worker it's like you kind of have to go like like I'm not gonna have sex with this person just because their trade is sex so <laughs> calm down hormones calm down body like yeah. you kind of have to remind yourself so I, I like I liked that interplay I liked how that was her profession in the movie because it did cause a greater sense of uh tension in the situations that she found herself in. I
1: just found when it was trying to be funny and a lot of it doing it is like having to deal with uh, you know a, a killer who is is a transvestite and like just weird sex sort of slide stuff that was trying to be funny and I just found it ineffective.
0: This is a, a what some might call a vanity project because the guy who played her boyfriend in the movie that she left behind yeah she's she's like a model he's a filmmaker he he's the one that actually wrote and directed the movie okay and it was something where they were not getting offers or not seeing scripts or whatever from what i understand and they put this together as something for like so they could go hey this is look at our talents like this is what i can do and this is what she can do um I would see another movie from I would see another movie from him and I think she's she's solid actress she's not given a lot to play other than kind of like she kind of she's given mild annoyance sort of from right. go and then plays mild annoyance in various states of undress for the rest of the yeah. hour and a half very um, true But I did not not like it. My girlfriend, on the other hand, didn't like it at all. I'm with Uh, her. She thought it was trash. Um, Uh, But I kind of dug Wood Paradise.
1: I dug it. Different uh, different strokes. Uh, There's a number of deleted scenes. Um, There is a... uh, And one of which has implied bestiality. So add that to your list. (laughs) There's two music videos from a band called Baby Yaga, which is apparently the, the lead actress's musical alter ego okay, uh, with sort of a synth wave type thing going on. But uh, no making of or anything like that. But, yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, next up is another. I, I want to see. This was wasn't this exploitation as well? They're there inside. No, it's epic. I apologize. And they're inside. Oh, this one. As mysteriously, I thought I'd gotten a lot of praise in the horror press. Uh, it's a found footage movie. Sort of. Yeah. It's not 100% dedicated to it, and it it's a home invasion movie, sort of, and it's a meta film about filmmaking movie, sort of, and it's trying to do things that are unexpected in with all three of those things that, that are not, not what you'd expect to happen, and it succeeds in that, only I found the whole – I found myself questioning why it got made at all. Yeah. You know what I mean? At the end, I was like, okay, so you showed you could do it. I'm not sure why you did
0: it. There's these sisters. They're working together to make a documentary kind of out in the woods. And meanwhile, while this documentary is coming together, some of their discussions and conversations are opening up old uh, sexual trauma mm-hmm. that happened in their family. Uh, meanwhile, kind of in the background, there's masked killers that are stalking. Uh, the people that are working on this um, this documentary movie, um, it's uh, it's not successful. It is a but it is a failure from people that I think displayed enough raw talent. Mm-hmm. I think the acting's pretty good. I think I think uh, I directing wise, I'm like well. You're you're getting those performances from the actors, at least. I mean, you're still working within the found footage. Right. Uh, Which is hard to judge. Feel. <laughs> so it's hard for me to judge directing. But I didn't walk away thinking that the movie was without talent. It's mm-hmm. odd to watch something where I'm like, all of the kind of ingredients are here in the service of a story that is kind of confusing, first of all. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, at best, I guess it tries to be sort of like, Uh, It tries to be kind of a movie like Funny Games or something like that where it kind of wants to, like, turn the screws on the audience a little bit. Right. Um, But I don't know that it's successful at really anything that it's trying to do. But I would give these guys a second chance. Yeah. If I heard that they were doing something else, I would certainly, like, not dismiss them based on this one movie. This is a movie
1: that feels like a lot of effort went into
0: constructing it
1: in terms of, like, conceiving of it. And everyone seems dedicated to doing it. The characters don't fall into stereotypes, mm-hmm. which is what exactly what you expect it to do. And then it intentionally, and I would say a little too mechanically, breaks out of said stereotypes. Um, but there's so much concern with, like you said, like putting the screws on the audience or, or changing what your expectations are. That it does it just kind of feels like you can see the the mechanical workings beneath it, and never are able to get emotionally connected to it at all. Um, there's certainly not enough style here, which is part of the problem with doing a found footage film, I think, in and of itself, to sell something that is working
0: on this level story-wise. Do you remember a movie from about 20 years ago called My Little Eye? I think it's an early Bradley mm-hmm. Cooper movie. I don't think so. Um, but it is a quote-unquote found footage movie. Um, I think that everything about this is kind of marketed as if it's like, um, sort of like Strangers or a movie like that, where it's sort of oh, there's mass killers and they're stalking a family. I actually found this closer altogether to be something like my little eye where the found footage there is, these people that are supposed to be staying at this house. And I think they're on like a web series. So they're being filmed by the cameras that are there. Mm -hmm. Uh, and it's a little more character based and it's not quite as, as much of a thriller as something like a strangers or a, uh, them. That's the other movie I couldn't remember. Um, uh,
1: Which wasn't The Strangers, just a remake of Them, I thought.
0: I thought that was, uh, was it Ilse? There's a movie called Ilse, and Them is a remake of Ilse, right? Uh, maybe that was ILS. it. I-L-S, yeah, I don't remember. Um, But anyways, uh, point is, it's, uh, it, it's hard. I can't strongly, I can't recommend it, and it's weird to say that about a movie that I feel like has a lot of things going for it because you and I have watched some junk and we've watched some found footage junk and we've watched some horror movies with terrible acting and terrible production values and terrible everything. And this is like not one of those, but also isn't successful. So it's sort of like at the end of the day, What's, why would I tell you to see it if none of the elements work? Do you this know what is, I mean?
1: Yeah, this is a, uh, a, C, a C plus paper from people that I expect are going to get better. Yeah. I hope, would get better. They certainly have a lot of the chops. Although, the one thing that really bugged me, as much as they were so careful to try and construct these all these two separate pieces together, they still fell into that whole trap of, why would someone be filming this on their cell phone right now? Yeah, Like, that happens multiple times. Why would you have your cell phone on? <laughs> that, that, that drives everyone crazy in found footage movies. Uh, there's a, uh, two commentaries, the different commentary tracks, believe it or not. There's um, a couple behind-the-scenes, very short pieces. There's... Uh, two short films from the director, uh, Loop and Paranormal Activity. I did not watch this for the
0: record. Full <laughs> I, disclosure. I don't know about that other one. But.
1: Uh, but speaking of films, as you said, that were terrible and completely not worth watching, we reach our anti-pick of the week, I suspect. The movie I actually openly hated this week, and that was Critter's Attack. Oh! I, I, I was like, what I, do we have
0: left? What I, do we have left?
1: I fucking despised this. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And, and part of it is that all right, so a couple weeks ago, Aaron and I covered the new Leprechaun film. Okay, and I went into it never having seen any of the Leprechaun films, okay. but figuring how much do you really need to know? Yeah, you and I way. talked
0: a little bit yeah. about the old, the original Leprechaun and, right before you watched it,
1: and found it super charming. I really was like, wow, that was fun. I, I like that. I would watch. I would watch another one if they did put it out. Did you go back
0: and watch the first one? Or did you, I have not. A, still, still I, okay. I'm
1: still only having seen that one. When, like, yeah, that's fun. I would actually. I mean, it's not for people who don't already like well, horror films a lot, but yeah, it's a fun little comedy horror. The Critters, famous comedy horror series, using puppets to murder people—little fuzzy alien puppets. It was basically just a cash in off of Gremlins, but it was long. It went on for long enough to be multiple films, and I think there was a TV series coming up soon. It came out, or did it already come out?
0: Yeah, there were. There were. It was weird. It was kind of pitched like a TV series. It ended up being like eight, ten-minute shorts on Shutter as well. Okay. Actually, is and reality. then that,
1: that end up being like the length of a movie, kind of. Yeah. Um. And so, Critters attack. With exclamation point, uh, them going back for actual, you know, released at festivals, at least feature film uh, follow up to the, to the series. I was like, OK, well, there's a lot to be said for people who've had enough time to gestate on previous films in a series that are not great in the first place, but have great things about them, have some fun moments. Mm hmm. And go, how could we do what they were doing but do it much better? The way I felt that Leprechaun Returns did. However, this is considerably worse than most of the Critter's films I've seen. It is an afterthought of a movie that I found boring. They've advertised Dee Wallace's in this, who plays a big role in the first one. And she's not even playing that role. She's playing an, a, a bounty hunter, an alien bounty hunter. You're like, What?
0: Why would you not have
1: her just play the same character from the other film?
0: Oh, Uh, yeah. I don't think I picked up that she wasn't playing the same character. No,
1: she's not playing the same character.
0: But it's, um,
1: so Tashiana Washington, who, believe me, will be in better things other than this. Oh, I
0: know that name from something.
1: Uh, she, she's in something right now. I mean, she looked
0: vaguely familiar, but when you said the name, I'm like, oh, wait, I know that. She was in a something.
1: movie called Gimme the Loot?
0: I don't know that movie. Yeah. I don't All
1: know. right. <laughs> I, I felt like I looked her up and went like, oh, yeah, 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 that's where I know her from. And um, uh, she, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. She's in, she's in other. She was in the new Shaft. Okay. I don't know if you saw that. I didn't see that, but that's alright. Alright, anyway, sorry. Um, So she's a babysitter, and she definitely has some chops. I'll give her that. I was like, oh, uh, she's the one person in here, I thought. Okay, you, you're you holding my attention. You're interesting. And she's babysitting two teenagers. She's a college student herself, and she's kind of fretting about going to college, and what getting into college, and that sort of thing. Meanwhile, the alien Krites, the evil critters, have landed in the nearby forest, and they're causing trouble, and then it turns out there is a white, fuzzy, adorable one. Apparently the female critters are good, and the male critters are bad and the female critters try and kill the male critters who are just trying to mate with the female critters, but the female critter critters are tougher than the male critters. I was this previously part of the mythology? I couldn't tell you, but it's part of the mythology here. And so they're traveling around with this adorable white physician, oh blah, blah, sounding critter and uh, and trying not to get killed by a probably inanimate critters. critter. The, yeah. the
0: the female puppet is not as well animated as like the other critter puppets.
1: I mean they're all I mean they did at least not switch over to CG which is a this is exactly what I would have expected that's the one thing I'll give this director credit for he didn't weaken and switch to CG he used entirely puppets for this thing not that it helps <laughs> in fact there are points I'm like he used a puppet but it looks like when Fozzie Bear is eating, or like when Cookie Monster is eating cookies, when they're chowing down on people. I was like, ah, nah, 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 nah. And there's just like nothing happening. <laughs> I'm like, okay. We're, I'm not sure how I'm supposed to take take this. Uh, and I'll tell you that I just didn't. I, I found this whole thing embarrassing and and tough to get through. Not funny ever when it was trying to be funny. Yeah, uh, Not gory and anytime I tried to be gory it just didn't work I don't know what do you think
0: uh, so I came into this as a person who really likes critters I didn't grow up watching the Critters movies it wasn't until Warner Brothers released that four film DVD uh, mm-hmm. that had all four and then I came to discover them and I was like man I should have I should have watched the first one like years ago Um and I, I like it. I like the first one. Second one's pretty good. Third one's not so great. And I don't think I ever got around to watching the fourth one. Mm. I actually conflated in my head and thought the third one, where they're in the apartment in New York or whatever, is was the final one, and there was another one after that. It was the first D I think I only watched the first two. Yeah, which I like both of them. Okay. And I I, mean, I came in so as I came in as a as I would call myself a fan of the critters movies and I came in as a fan as well of Bobby Miller's previous film which is The Clans mm-hmm. um, that I like a lot with Oliver Platt and like Jared was uh, not Jared what's the the guy from Roseanne and uh, Galecki uh, Jared Jared is it Jared Galecki Where am I confusing him with the supernatural guy
1: uh, yeah, <laughs> That does because it does kind of sound like yeah. that doesn't it uh, I honestly don't know
0: Anyway anyhow. Um, I don't know if you saw his movie, The Cleanse, which is about these people that go to a, uh, they go to like a self-help. Johnny Galecki. Johnny Galecki. They go to a self-help retreat and they externalize the demons that are within them. So basically, if you have personal demons, you actually puke up your personal demon. You have to like (laughs) take care of it at this retreat. I
1: think I remember hearing about
0: it. It's a movie that was a horror comedy and it had puppets. And so I'm like, this should be right up Bobby Miller's alley based on The Cleanse. Well, I would tell people, like, seek out The Cleanse. <laughs> Go no. watch The Cleanse. It's available on home video. You can watch it on Hulu. I, I can't say the same about Critter's Attack. Uh, there, It lacks cinematic panache. It totally it does. It does not even look like TV. It looks like fan film. Yep. It looks really, really, really cheap. Um, and it never reaches... Critter's movies have to be... Even the worst critters movies are still loony. And this is never loony. Everything from performances to gore to everything is oddly subdued in like mm-hmm. a really weird way. And that is like the biggest detriment to a critters film I can think is by is not you have to push the boundaries of what's over the top for a critter the for a critter's film to work. And this doesn't press up against those boundaries of over-the-top at all. It's so oddly reserved. Uh, And it's like, yeah, you're looking at stuff happen. You're looking at what essentially is a Critters film. Yes, I can see them rolling into a ball. Yes, I can see them biting people's legs. But there's something about it that's so uh, flatly staged and unimaginative and been there, done that that it just lays there. The movie just lays there. Um, I heard a lot of really positive festival buzz. Did as you really? well coming out of this? I from, can't imagine from friends of mine that like, oh man, this is so much better than the Shutter TV series. Critters is back, and it's not. This is a real. This is this is pretty disappointing because I don't know that. Um, It's not even that they're not going in the right direction. Like you can tell, it's intentionally intended to have a comedic flavor. It's supposed to be like the old critters movies, but again, everything is so is just so flatly done.
1: Yeah, Uh, there's just I I really can't think of anything outside of pointing out that the the lead actress is very charismatic and will hopefully someday get better roles than this. Um. (laughs) Sort of, but even then,
0: like reactions to things that yeah. are going on is just like, everything is just so like, everybody kind of acts the same no matter what the situation is. Which to some there's degree no variation a director of like, issue. Yeah, <laughs> there's no variation in regards to like, oh like, the critters are attacking people, now is the time to up your performance add some frantic energy, add some like, and everybody just kind of plays every scene sort of exactly the same whether she's just working at a sushi restaurant or whether she's actually fighting critters everything is kind of the same yeah samey it's so not it's a it's a weird it's it come i came across like this is a weird viewing experience because i was like why is none of this coming together for me like Mm -hmm. i love the critters i was like am i
1: not in the right mood for this? yeah like why
0: is none of this gelling so because it's bad yeah i guess so (laughs) uh there
1: this is one of the odder things i've seen one of the bonus features is listed as commentary so you expect a comment a proper commentary track right Okay, now what it is, is it's the director, Bobby Miller, who's joined by an actor playing a old version of one of the Crites, Marty Crit, so somebody pretending to be one of the Critters, offering their thoughts and memories over a small piece of the film as if this was made a long time ago. Cool. For six minutes. <laughs> Neat. Why is that a thing? <laughs> I think they were desperate for something. Uh, there's engineering gore, which of which there is all but none here. There's
0: a lot of the puppets biting people's, like, imagine if I put some some corn syrup on my arm and yeah. then let a puppet, like, no. kind of... That's the extent
1: of the gore. Uh, engineering gore designing critters for eight minutes, which, which is basically just an EPK interviewing everyone about the movie. There's critters and Out of This World Experience for seven minutes, uh, where they're talking about once again it's pretty much the same thing just different interviews uh the critter ball for two minutes which is showing how they did the giant critter ball which is not impressive or exciting that we saw happens. in critters <laughs> too already exactly yeah. um and yeah, I, this is this is terrible. I hate to disappoint you guys who are really excited, but don't get your hopes up. Well, that is it for this week's Digital Noise. Um, I will be back soon with, I believe, Aaron is up next. I believe he's got a stack already he's working on, so we should be reviewing that before too much longer. And uh, thanks for listening. John, you want to point people at any, any place to find you online? Or are you like- yeah, I've got
0: um, – so if you go to uh, bigcartel.com and you search for For the Title – Um, There is a for-the-title-complete collection by uh, Austin Green and uh, Lance Sheeby. It is a wrestling fantasy adventure uh, comedy ghost story comic uh, that I have art in. Uh, Hmm. And then as well, um, you can still pick up Halloween Man, Bat City Special, and Comixology, which I also have a story in. Uh, Mm -hmm. So I'll I'll plug my, my comic stuff this week. Nice.
1: Um, and next time, more on his comedy, comedy career, not his comic career. I did my first, uh,
0: did the sketch show. It was successful. But I was I there. Mean, I to talk. Oh, yeah, 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 you I were. Was, I saw it. It was great. Okay. We cool. had a good time. We just right. had to brush out. I completely, I completely forgot until now. And I'm like, Oh, yeah, you were there. And then I'm like, yeah. Uh oh, did he like it? Is no, it- we were running late All for right. a dinner thing. All right, cool. So we were like, All Oh right. shit, we gotta go. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I
1: did very much like it. All Thank right. you. <laughs> Don't worry. Okay.